Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. All right, Joey. So um, is this season five? Season five? I don't know. Normally we would take a break in the summer, but it's like, man, we're doing acts. There's so much here we don't have time to talk about. So we have to meet for Cut for Time. Otherwise, the sermons would be an hour and a half long. And or instead of a two and a half year series, it would become a three and a <laughs> half a five, year yeah, series. Yeah, yeah, five year series. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, we only covered one verse today, folks. Come back next year, next week, when we pick up where we left off. Yeah. So I don't know what this is, but we're just going to keep going. I guess the point is we're not taking a break for summer and we're excited about it. We, I think hopefully people can like the excitement about our act series is contagious and people are also getting as excited about it as I think you are and Jeff and all of staff. So yeah. All right. You got to preach the introduction and yeah, um, it was fun. It's not just a, like an introduction to the whole series, like we would have actually lost a lot of knowledge and value had you not set this up for us. It was worth taking the time to set up the entire book and the series for us. It wasn't just a filler, you know, Mm -hmm. this was intentional. So why don't you give us just an overview from what you preached on Sunday of give us the big, long thing that you, the sentence that you built on throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the sermon, how did it end? Tell us that. The sentence that just kept getting bigger. Yeah. Well, one of the key principles of reading the Bible well is knowing what kind of text you're reading. So, I mean, we do this naturally in everyday life. Like there's a difference between reading a newspaper and reading a fantasy novel. Right. And and so you, you read a newspaper in a different way than you read the Lord of the Rings. Um, in fact, there's that famous illustration from history of the first radio broadcast of War of the Worlds, where people heard it and it was in yes. the style of a news broadcast, but it was a story and people heard it and took it seriously because they messed up the genre interpretation, thinking it was a news story instead of a you know fiction story. So, right. so uh, approaching Acts, uh, I felt like we needed, as we set it up, to take some time to think about, okay, what is this document? that we're going to be studying for two and a half years. So we're all on the same page about how to read it. So mm-hmm. the yeah. the big long sentence that kept getting bigger and bigger was, you know, the Acts that Luke wrote, the Acts is a theological history. That's what he's trying to do. These aren't like, you know, these aren't like somebody's class notes from a lecture on church history. Um, this isn't just a collection of scraps of stories that Luke heard that he just slapped together, um, you know, in some sort of binding, like this is a really intentional literary work. Um, it's almost exactly the same length as his gospel, the gospel of Luke. These two books are tended intended to go together. Each one would be about, uh, a 32 foot scroll, a standard size, right? They're, they're really specifically written as a theological history, Luke leaves out a lot of stuff that he could have told us that he doesn't. Um, This is not the sum total of everything he knows about the church. This is what he's put in a very specific order in order to teach us something. So it's a theological history. It's about what Jesus is continuing to do and teach in the church through the Holy Spirit. So that's very important. Jesus is the main character of the book of Acts, even though he ascends, you know, in chapter one. But it's Jesus through the Holy Spirit working in the church uh, to make manifest the kingdom of God. 
that's what Jeff's going to talk about this Sunday. Um, yeah. That's the main uh, the main character of of the book is Jesus through the Holy Spirit in the church. And then um, what is it about? Well, it's about the kingdom of God. And mm -hmm. uh, we talked about how Luke uses that phrase kingdom of God at the very beginning, at the very end of the book to bookend it and say, this is what the whole thing's about. And I'm going to resist the urge again to preach Jeff's sermon from this Sunday and start talking about the kingdom of God again, because it's so good. We were just had lunch, Jeff and, and Nathan and I, and we're talking through this whole thing and like, man, how do we explain this? And how does it apply? And all of that. And it was so fun. Um, yeah, I'm super yeah. excited. Yeah. Maybe you need to be interviewing Jeff next week. <laughs> oh, well, nah, you're good. You're better at it than I am. Uh, well, when okay. I interview Nathan, we go for like an hour. It's a problem. Then you have to do more editing. No, I don't. I didn't have to do it again this time. All right. I do have a question for you, Joey. When we sat yes. down for like this initial concept meeting of like, what's it going to look like? We know what we're going to do. How are we going to execute it? Right. Um, we talked about the idea that the gospel is the main character, right? Like what's mm -hmm. the gospel doing? Where is it going? Um, mm -hmm. And that's not what you preached. And so I'm just curious, like, how does that fit in? Can we still say the gospel is one of the main characters or, um, yeah. you know, in the book of Acts? Yeah. Because I think Nathan had mentioned that or something when you guys were initially looking at it. Yeah. And that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think the, what we said um, in that planning session, the gospel is the main character. And what we're saying here that Jesus in the church through the Holy Spirit is the main character are really saying the same thing. Um, because the gospel is the good news about the coming of the kingdom of God through Israel's Messiah that is coming into the world in this totally unexpected way through this new gathering of people called the church, this multi-ethnic, multicultural uh, movement that began as a minority messianic Jewish, you know, persecuted Jewish religious sect. Um, so the message of the gospel is not just this message that, um, because of Jesus, when you die, you can go to heaven. The message of the gospel is that the kingdom of God, God's presence on earth, God dwelling with his people is coming into the world through the church because of the death and resurrection of Israel's Messiah. And so, yeah, Jesus is the main character in through the Holy or through the church in the Holy spirit. That is the gospel. Uh, that is the message of the gospel. Yeah. Okay. So we can think of it either way, or you just would say, think yeah. of it as, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can think of it as uh, either way. It's just, if, if when you say, you know, if somebody says the gospel is the main character and they're thinking by the gospel, they mean um, yeah. the message of how I get right with God. Like that is the kernel of it. Right. That is the core, but it is not the sum total of what we mean when we talk about the gospel, especially in Luke and in Acts. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So there were two things that you really wanted time in your sermon to be able to talk about, but we didn't have time in your sermon. And so you told people, we'll get to this and cut for time. Yeah, we'll so get to that. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about well, it. The, there were two things I mentioned in the sermon and there were three more that I didn't even mention that I, I would have wanted to talk about. So all let's right, see how much well, time we have. Let's see. All right. Let's start with why do the earliest manuscripts yeah. call it the Acts of the Apostles? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Um, so I, I mentioned that a lot of uh, commentaries, a lot of people agree, like, like the acts of the Holy Spirit or the acts of the risen and exalted Jesus through the Holy Spirit is a better title. And uh, my wife and I were on a walk afterwards going to get some ice cream. She's like, you can't just rename the Bible, like books of the Bible like that. I'm like, you're right. I'm not trying to rename it. You know, the acts of the apostles is a great name. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, but why call it that? Because that's not what it's about. It's not about all the apostles. It's about two of them 
one, if you don't count Paul, you know, all of that. Actually, the history of the title is there was an early uh, teacher, a guy named Marcion, who was uh, condemned as, as having heretical views, who believed that Paul was the only one who got Jesus correctly. And so the only books of the Bible we could trust were the ones that Paul wrote. Um, and we couldn't trust any of the other books of the Bible. He completely rejected the Old Testament and said the God of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament are totally different deities, different gods. And he included only one like heavily redacted um, gospel in his sort of canon. And sure. so it's in the original or it's in the earliest sort of collections of books where we find this title, the Acts of the Apostles, in a specifically like anti-Marcian context. So we're like, no, dude, this book is the Acts of all the apostles. Like we're Peter's also an apostle, not just not just Paul. And so the Acts of the Apostles, it was given that title as a uh, of way of pushing back against Marcion and saying like, no, Marcion, like this is all the acts of the apostles. Paul's not the only one that we worry about here. So mm, what okay. was, you know, originally a title intended to include all and say, this is important. Uh, these guys are important. Kind of by the time we're now 2000 years later, we're historically removed from that. We're like, that doesn't make any sense, but that's what it meant then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So um, what about the pattern of storytelling between the gospel of Luke and Acts? You wanted to get into it. You started talking, you're like, I'm not going to mention it, but the baptism and then this, and then you're like, Oh, I won't do it. I, you know, you really <laughs> restraint there. Um, what's so cool about it? What should we know? And how does it enhance our understanding of the book of Acts? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's even way more than we would have time to talk about now. You kind of need to walk through both books um, verse by verse to get a good view of it. But it's interesting that, um, the pattern of storytelling in Acts mirrors the pattern of storytelling in the Gospels, so or in the Gospel of Luke. So you start at the Gospel of Luke. There's an introduction. There's the initial introduction to the two books together. You know, hey Theophilus, I'm, I've interviewed people and I'm writing this down in an orderly manner so that you can trust that the stories you've heard are true. Um, and then we get into a you know, Jesus is commissioning for the work, the baptism, then we have him teaching in various places. We have a lot of travel where he's like going here, going here, going here, going here. And then we have the last fourth of the book or so is all his arrest and his trial ultimately leading to his crucifixion. You get to Acts and you have something very similar. You've got the beginning, an introductory prologue. There's the the sort of setting up of the narrative. There's a baptism, in this case of the Holy Spirit. And there's even a direct link. Jesus says at the beginning of Acts, hey, John baptized with water. You're going to be baptized with the Spirit. There's a direct link there. And then from that, you get an initial sort of proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom through Peter's first sermon. And then there's teaching and teaching and teaching. And then there's a long travel section of like, wow, now, now Paul's going here and he's going here and he's going there. Uh, there's various miracle, miracles along the way. And then the last fourth of Acts is Paul's arrest and his trial. And it just keeps going on from there. And where it changes is, or where it's different is Jesus is crucified, raises, rise, rises again, raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul, we never see what actually happens to him, but he's preaching the kingdom, you know, unrestricted, preaching the kingdom in Rome, the kingdom of God in Rome, because of he's under arrest and they're paying for him to have a house and people can come and go and he can preach and teach and all of that in, you know, in Rome, which is standing for the ends of the earth. 
in this okay. overall framework. So even in in Luke, you've got this sense that the the um, for the the book sort of begins wide and just narrows towards Jerusalem. And then in Acts, it goes in the exact opposite direction. You start narrow in Jerusalem and you go out wide to uh, to the ends of the earth. You've also got the sort of upside down vertical nature of Luke, where social classes and orders are just being subverted, where like the, the least shall be first and all of that. And then in Acts, you've got a Gentile Jewish sort of subversion where the Jews are rejecting Jesus, but the Gentiles are accepting the message of the Messiah of Israel. And so there's all these little parallels. And one commentator said that, you know, the theological significance of what Luke is doing is he is showing through Paul and Paul's story and through Peter, through Stephen, through all of these guys, but primarily through Paul's story, he's showing that the life of a follower of Christ will be shaped like Jesus's life. Now, I don't think that specifically means like every one of us should find ourselves like, oh, okay, so there's a baptism and then there's teaching, then there's a lot of travel and eventually I'll be arrested and persecuted and who knows what will happen from there. But that sort of the paradigmatic follower of Jesus is Paul in Acts and his life ends up becoming patterned after Jesus's life. Uh, and yeah. so it's, it's a descriptive uh, picture of this guy who's, who following Jesus, his life becomes shaped by the Jesus story. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's helpful. And you answered the last question that you just answered was what I was going to ask you is what's the point? Why? And so that's so what's the point? What's the significance great. of that? Yeah. 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 You did. You answered that. Awesome. Thanks, Joey. Oh, I love that. Um, that's really cool. And I would have not noticed that reading it on my own. And so I'm just thankful that you guys do the hard work of investigating these things to be able to share these like little nuggets of like, yeah, that's yeah. really fun to know. And I don't know if it, the space you had the space for it in a sermon, but like that's, I don't know, cover time's a great place to be able to unpack that a little bit and give us mm -hmm. extra little nuggets. So. Yeah. It's fun to unpack. And, you know, sometimes it's like the point of a sermon, right. Is to help us worship Christ through the, the passage that we're considering. And so sometimes it's like, well, does that really help us worship Jesus more intimately because we know that well, not necessarily, but it is the kind of thing that when you know it and you see the patterns over a long term of study, it's like, oh yeah, that does sort of, I don't know. It just opens up new vistas. I don't know what metaphor to use. I just, yeah. I, I love being able to see those connections um, and draw the parallels. Yeah, it's helpful, anything, especially for, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, for me, it does prompt me to praise and like give thanks for like the inspiration of scripture because I'm like, that. Mm -hmm. just like people on our own could not develop such beautiful and intelligent writings. Right. But like, with the divine inspiration of scripture, like, I don't know, it just makes me be like, so thankful that God has given us his word as this gift. And it just affirms that, mm -hmm. yeah, we couldn't come up with this on our own, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it helps us with, um, it helps us in the interpretive process too, because we're going to come to a story in a couple of weeks where like Judas is uh, committed suicide. So we're down to 11 apostles and they appoint a 12th one. Well, why? It's like, well, remember there's, there's, there's parallels here between this and the beginning of Luke. So what's the significance of Jesus appointing 12 disciples, right? He's refiguring Israel 
symbolically in his 12 tribes, 12 followers. So before the kingdom of God through Israel can come into the world, like we got to get back up to 12. Um, yeah. So it's, it's significant and important. And the parallels, the parallel of the two books helps us understand that. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, are you able to preach that sermon then too when that comes along? Uh, yeah, I do get that one. That'll be fun. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So what are the other things that you wish you could have covered in uh, in the sermon that you didn't get to give a shout yeah. out to? <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a couple of things. You know, one um, one of the things uh, I thought about including the second hour after somebody mentioned it to me after first hour. And um, it's something that's like, you know, you know, is true and and uh, but kind of hits you in the moment. You're like, man, I should figure out a way to work that in. But how do I do it without adding like five more minutes to the sermon or figuring out where it weaves in? But, you know, I was saying near the end of the sermon that we need to understand that our story, Faith Church's story, begins in a, and I think I said it already earlier in this recording, in a persecuted minority messianic Jewish religious sect. And uh, one of the guys I was reading said, Look, Judaism itself was already a minority religion in the Greco-Roman world. And Christianity started as 120 people in a room. It's just like a drop in the ocean. How did that become, uh, you know, the largest multi-ethnic, multi-cultural uh, movement in the history of the world? Um, somebody told me afterwards that he had, he had attended a Burmese church service recently and walked out of it realizing that faith church is an ethnic church. You know, he'd gone to an ethnic church service, a Burmese service. And, you know, we talk about having ethnic services. We have a, a Spanish service, or you might go to, you know, another sort of minority, uh, uh, ethnically or culturally minority church service and be like, yeah, that's an ethnic service and ours is a normal service. Mm -hmm. And it just hit him. And when he said it, it's like, yeah, uh, it's one of, of course, you know, that's true, but feeling it, it's like, you know what? Our church is an ethnic church because the story of the thing we're part of is of a minority Jewish religious sect uh, that believes that Jesus, Yeshua, is the, the risen Messiah of Israel. And uh, yeah, our white church is not the normal church or the default church mm -hmm. or the basic church against which all other churches are measured. Yeah. It, it, that sort of comes like intuitively to us to like, yeah, no, this is normal because most of the Christianity we interact with now is Western Anglo-Saxon kind of predominantly white. Um, but yeah. that's a, that is a strand or a stream of uh, ethnic Christianity. There is no default church and everything else is an ethnic church. We're all part of, I think we talked about it when we were in our Galatian study, like this is how Abraham gets his one worldwide family that God promised him. And it's through the nations. Um, we're all part of Abraham's family and not the, uh, not Abraham part of our church. Yeah, no, I get um, that. It reminds me of like, you know, when you're, uh, you're traveling and you're like, man, they've got such thick accents here. And you think that you're the norm, uh -huh. you know, because we're like, oh, right. we're, yep. we live in the Midwest and we don't have an accent. We don't hear it, but we do. Um, and it's like, just realizing like that we are not the, um, the example of like the norm, I guess in general. So, right. The norm. Yeah. You're telling people like, I can't understand you. you your accent's too thick. And they're like, you're the one with the accent here, not me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, you're right. So, yeah. All right. So what else, Joey? What else do you wish you could, could have shared? Oh, man. So what I wish I could have done was do a whole theology lecture 
on the opera at extra, which would have been super fun. Do we need an and I'm not sure deep how. dive Saturday? <laughs> I know, right? Like... And so, so you know, we're we're talking about. So I was talking with Tom Macy uh, after the sermon because um, we're talking about doctrine of the Trinity, right? Yeah. So we worship a God who is one in three. Uh, we'll talk about the Godhead, the Trinity, fa- the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the first person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity, and we'll talk about that. Um, but that is a doctrine that is built on the whole uh, council of scripture. There's no one verse that you go to and it says, hey, here, by the way, God is three in one. Here's the Trinity, right? You, uh, you you develop the doctrine in multiple ways by the understanding. First of all, the understanding of like, oh, I am reconciled with the father through the sacrifice of the son and the witness of the spirit in my heart that that is true. You know, you read God is one in Deuteronomy and then, but also like, there is one God and Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, you know, so how do these go together? And then the spirit of Christ or the spirit of God comes and um, the spirit is personal agency and, and all of that. So you're trying to put this all together. And, um, I, you know, we said that Acts is that Jesus is the main character through the Holy Spirit. And um, there's an important principle in Trinitarian exegesis, which means reading scripture through a Trinitarian lens of understanding that God is three in one. There's an important principle that uh, in Latin, it's the uh, omnia opera trinitatis ad ad extra indivisia sunt, which means um, that all of the external operations of the Trinity are indivisible. To clarify what that means, Mm -hmm. essentially what it means is that, okay, God is one, right? God is one. God is Father, Son, and Spirit, but God is one. And it's not that there's a Father, Son, and the Spirit, and then behind them is like a fourth God that is God with a capital G. And then here's like three manifestations or whatever. So if God is one, then everything God does, uh, all of the external actions of of the Trinity, meaning everything, anything the Trinity does is done by all three and is done by one, the one God. Mm-hmm. So it, it's incorrect to speak uh, definitively of saying, hey, Jesus did this, but not the Father and not the Son. The point is, anytime you see Jesus doing something, the Father and the Son are all, or the Father and the Spirit are also doing this. Anytime you see the Spirit doing this, the Father and the Son are also doing this. Anytime you see the Father doing this, the Son and the Spirit are also in this action. And so, you know, I, I was saying that, hey, it's the acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. To speak that way is to speak scripturally because that's how scripture talks. You know, the father sends the son, um, the the father and the son send the spirit. So it's proper to talk of each of the three persons of the Trinity as, um, as doing things that pertain to who they are. Um, but it's also important to remember that you never see, we never have one acting without the other two. So in saying Jesus is the main character through the spirit. I'm not leaving God, the father out. What we're saying is God is the main character of Mm -hmm. the book of acts. Um, It's the risen exalted Jesus acting in the church through the Holy spirit. But wherever you see Jesus acting, wherever you see the Holy spirit acting, wherever you see the father acting, all three are there. So it would have been an opportunity to, you know, take half an hour to say, let's talk about the Trinity and the external actions of the Trinity and how they're indivisible. And wherever you see one, you see all three and all of that. And it's like, well, that 
that probably fits better in a Sunday school class or a deep dive or something like that. And even mm -hmm. then, you see, you know, the three minutes I just covered it in is like barely scratching the surface yeah. um, of one small aspect of the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. I mean, I, like, it's just even hard for our own heads to like our own minds to wrap around it. And then to like explain mm -hmm. it to somebody else, which is really difficult. All right. So Joey, we are excited about, um, looking at the, studying the book of Acts for two and a half years mm -hmm. by the end of the time, what do you hope is something new or different about the people in our church body and how we, how we worship, how might this study yeah. change and inform our worship? Man, that's a great question. I am praying and hoping that by the end of this study, our church will be just thrilled or captivated by the idea that we are part of the most improbable, impossible movement in the history of the world that, you know, this whole thing began 2000 years ago in a little room and it has blossomed into this thing that is just unstoppable, right? Because Jesus promised that it's unstoppable. No one's going to, going to slow down or stop my church. Um, it is unstoppable. We are part of that. We don't have to try to reinvent church for a, a new generation or get anxious about the, the world and the state of the world because, gosh, I don't know if God's big enough to really overcome. I mean, I know God's gotten the church through a lot, but he hasn't gotten the church through American politics. So what is he going to do? You know, it, it's like we don't have to despair um, of, of where the church is going or lament. Um, no, that's not the right word for it. We don't have to despair that that's all going to end with us. Like we are part of a 2000 year long story. And I love what, uh, I didn't use this on Sunday because I just thought of it now, but I love what GK Chesterton says about the church. He says, there are many times in history when it appeared the church had died. Uh, and yet somehow she always managed to rise again as if she serves a God who knows how to rise from the dead. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's the story we're part of. Right. Yeah. And our church faith church may only be here for a few generations. I don't know. Um, but that, that's not what matters. What matters is that we are one small part in a huge worldwide, global, multi-ethnic, multicultural, um, story of the kingdom of God. Like, yeah. I would so much rather play a little part in that huge story than a big part in some tiny little story, building a little kingdom of faith here, uh, in Indianapolis. Yeah. So I'm just yeah. hoping by the end of this, that we are just thrilled to be small players in a really big story. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's like, it's a great perspective to have. It's very humbling. And don't we need that to just be like, it's just mm -hmm. not about us. And it's not even about faith church, though. We love our church and we would give up so yeah. much, you know, to be a part of it. Um, but it's way bigger. And yeah, I'm excited and say thank you for that, for that perspective. Yeah, no, thanks. This is great. I hope that uh, everything we talked about makes it into the final cut of Cut for Time. And uh, if it doesn't, we'll just leave people wondering, oh, what did they cut out? Not much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.